It's not the food itself, but it's a component to the food. What type of hydrogens are actually in that food? We just can be able to test the foods to arrange a composition so that deuterium levels are low. When you drink water, the majority of the water that's absorbed is absorbed specifically and quickly to your peripheral tissues, right, to your muscles. The term levels are up, so you've got to get healthy. You've got to empower yourself and not depend on the government or doctors, as well-meaning as they are, to help you. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Friends, so excited about today's episode. It is a mind-blowing conversation about all things water. I did not realize just how many questions I had about water and all the crazy things about how water can affect us. And deuterium. Deuterium may be the thing everybody needs to know about that nobody has heard about. It's quite a shocker. Also, Dr. Q Collins is just the nicest person ever. I am so honored to have met him, and I'm really, really excited for you guys to hear this conversation. If you would like to get your own deuterium-depleted water, I really recommend this. There is a company called Lightwater, and they make deuterium-depleted water. Here is all the info. And by the way, you want to get on this now because they're actually going to stop selling to new customers pretty soon. I actually did an entire deuterium depletion protocol with them, so I just drank deuterium-depleted water for about three weeks. I tested my body's deuterium levels before starting, right after finishing, and then a few months later. So when I started, my deuterium levels were around 150. After the depletion, they went down to 127, which is amazing. And then a few months later, they went back up to 150. So what I'm actually going to start doing is ordering the deuterium depleted water. And I'm not going to just drink that water, but I'm going to mix it with my normal water to make the water that I'm drinking be the deuterium level that I want to be at. And light water has a cool chart that you can look at so that you can see if you want to mix your own water, what you would buy and what the cost ends up being when you combine it with your own water, because it can be really pricey if you're just drinking the water straight. But if you mix it to dilute your own water, then it's much more cost effective. And I have a coupon code for you guys. So just go to melanieavalon.com slash lightwater. That's L-I-T-E-W-A-T-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon. That will get you $20 off your order. Also hop on this now because I just spoke with the founder and in a few months, they're actually not going to take new customers because they can't meet the demand. So basically place an order now to be on the list because if you're an existing customer, you'll be able to keep ordering the water. But if you're not, then and once the doors close in a few months, you might not be able to order it. So order some right now. Again, that will be at melanieavalon.com slash lightwater, L-I-T-E-W-A-T-E-R. The coupon code melanieavalon will get you $20 off. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash water. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. There will also be two episode giveaways for this episode. One will be in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods Plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something I love. There will be a second giveaway on my Instagram. Check out the post for this episode 
for a second giveaway. I love giving away things. What I often usually end up giving away is full-sized beauty counter products. Hi friends, welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly thrilled and excited about the conversation that I am about to have. It is a long, long time coming for me. So the background on this is probably, it was probably about two years ago now or so. I was doing an interview on red light therapy, and this was the first time that I heard of a concept called, and this is a word that I feel like most people don't know much about at present, but that is deuterium, specifically deuterium depleted water. But I was doing an episode on red light therapy and they were talking about how red light and near infrared light could affect potentially our deuterium levels in our body. And they mentioned Dr. Q Collins and said that I just simply had to connect with him. And this was about two years ago. So it was always on my list to find this wonderful human being. And since then I had seen deuterium pop up here and there, but nothing, it was never like massively in my face. And then I don't know how long ago it was now, but probably a few months ago, Dr. Collins' people reached out to me about getting him on the show, and it was such a moment. I was like, yes, I've been dying to connect with him anyway. And since then, listeners, friends, I have dived a little bit deeper into deuterium. And I honestly think this might be one of the most important things that we could address in our health and wellness. And I actually mean that, and I haven't even had the interview yet. So I'm really excited to see what all I learned. But Dr. Collins, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much, Melanie. And as I said, I'm a fanboy, so I am so happy. Dr. Collins and I were talking before the call about our similar universes and everything. So I'm just so thrilled about this conversation. And for those who are not familiar with you, I'll let listeners know a little bit about your work. So you have a very, very impressive resume. You have a PhD in clinical immunology, an MS in oncotherapeutics, an MA in business and health policy, a BS in poverty, health care, and cancer epidemiology. You are the co-founder and the principal investigator at the Center for deuterium depletion, which I'm sure we'll talk about. You're also a former principal investigator at the Epigenics Foundation, which was created by the founders of Quest Nutrition for research in disease and maximizing quality of life. And you are the co-founder and former principal investigator, this is so cool, at the Keto Pet Sanctuary, which uses the ketogenic diet for dogs with naturally occurring cancers, which that is just very cool. That's a lot. So many things. Thank you so much for being here. (laughs) No, no. Thank you for the invitation. This is just fantastic. So to start things off, I, I am just dying to know a little bit about your personal story. You've become known as the deuterium guy, but there's a lot of interest in your life with health and wellness. But what is your personal story and what did ultimately lead you to the focus today on deuterium depletion? My PhD was in immunology, and I was worked for a long time, both in for big pharma, making antibodies and growth factors and antibiotics, doing a lot of different things, but really focused on, really focused on cancer and how could we get rid of, of cancer. And so I did that for a long time, and then I left and running my own businesses and cancer or cancer and health-related businesses with bringing up hospitals and working actually in Africa and South America, looking at epidemiology of cancer, 
associated with gold mines, a lot of different things like that. Make a long story short, later in my life, I had very, my, my daughter developed a cancer and I lost her to cancer. And then later, a little bit later, my wife, same thing. And with, with my wife, we really, really started to look at things because it just seemed a standard of care when even it wasn't working. It didn't give people any chance, even though I knew the best, really the best scientists and, and physicians in the country that worked on different kinds of cancers. She particularly had a, what was called a glioblastoma, which is a brain cancer and the most lethal of all cancers. And so she really introduced me to the ketogenic diet almost 10 years ago. I always laughed about that, and I'm sure your audience would appreciate it, being the, the know-it-all scientist who, 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 who knew more than everybody. She came into my office one day and said, hey, you know, I found something on the internet, something about diet and cancer. And I laughed at her and said, oh, honey, come on. There's, doctor internet's never right. Let me take care of this. And we, we, I called everybody. I tried to do everything, and even people that loved her as much as I did, and we didn't have anything for her. There was just nothing there. So finally, she, <laughs> she, knew, she knew me so well. We were married for 35 years. We, she knew me so well that she bound all the papers up in a leather binder, and she, she walked in my office and said, Read this asshole. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, which I, I had to laugh. And as I go through the papers, you know, I, I, I'm like, oh, this is very interesting. Ketogenic. I never heard of this. They didn't teach this in medical school. They didn't teach this in graduate school. Reading more and go, huh, that's interesting. Oh, my God, that's even more interesting. Oh, my, this looks, this looks real. And so I picked up a phone. I called Tom Seafried, and he had just he and just a, a couple of his papers just to ask him what this was all about. And to my surprise, he called me back probably an hour later, and he hadn't written his book yet, but he was telling me all about this. And the guy was just amazing and just so passionate about what he what he did, and he converted me. And from there, he gave me Dominic DiGostino's telephone number. I called Dominic. And became friends with Dominic and understanding what he does, and then going to the rest of the people that were in the field. And then from there, people don't know that now the ketogenic diet is pretty, you know, everybody knows what ketogenic diet and, eat, and intermittent fasting and what metformin is. And back then, we didn't know. And so I was really investigating, and probably most of the things that people use today. We really, I started a, a, what I called the pet cancer trial. And what I did was to, to, to actually treat dogs that had can't natural care and cancers. If you, had a, if you had a dog in your home, I would experiment by giving them, you know, making this new kind of ketogenic diet and metformin and all these other cool things that you could do, including exogenous ketones, which were being made down by Dominic. And, and, given, and the first person really in the world as far as I know, they got the combination of all these things was my wife. <laughs> and if it worked in a dog, it went straight to her. And it was amazing. She was given five weeks to live when we first found out what was going on. And she lived, you know, about two years longer using these ketogenic diets and things we would find out about hyperbaric oxygen therapy, things we would find about intermittent fasting and recipes and 
it was fantastic. And so we, we really got an appreciation from that. And we really probably would have made a breakthrough and she would have still been with us. I really, truly believe this. When she had her brain cancer, she was diagnosed with a bad heart. But we found out afterward it wasn't, it wasn't her heart. It was actually her brain making people think it was her heart. And so they gave her a pacemaker. She didn't need it. By getting a pacemaker, she wasn't able to do the last piece of the puzzle at the time, which was hyperbaric oxygen therapy, because the pressure was too great on her heart. And so we could slow the cancer down. And that's what a ketogenic diet can do when it's done very well. But it can't, it can't kill it. And you need something else to kill it. And so that's how I got here. You know, from there, my journey goes on from there. But that's, that's how I got here, folks, is a labor of love. And what I do now continues to be that trying to find the solution that will not only, I'm, I'm past the point of trying to cure cancer, but that can allow you to live with it, keep it at bay so you can have a higher quality of life uh, and not only live long, longer, but live better. That's a really beautiful story. Have you read Dr. Jason Bung's new book, The Cancer Code? Yeah, I, I, I love Jason. It's so funny. I love his stuff. And it's, it's great being older because what I'm finding is so many people are rediscovering stuff that we knew. And, and he is, I've followed his work because it's a lot like the, one of the other things I found it was metabolic oncology back when I was in Quest. And now that's becoming a big word around the, the circuit, you know, everybody. But he does a lot of the things and that, that, that I used to do. And I love how he puts it because he writes it and he says things so well. So I really do love it. I interviewed him really recently about that book. And one of the things I was thinking about from it that you were just talking about, he didn't really go super deep into this, but he did talk about the, like the mathematical approach to cancer and how it actually might make more sense to live with cancer rather than killing it. Do you know what I'm talking about from a, like a mathematical perspective? And here's an interesting thing, and I go through this with our patients all the time, and that is most people, <laughs> most people with stage four cancer don't die from the cancer. They die from the therapy, the chemotherapy, getting depressed, radiation. These things are very, very toxic. And the idea is to take you to kill everything in your body and then allow your body to recover. That's really it. And so every time that you have it, and you go into remission, the next time it comes back, they kill you again. They kill you a third time to the point your body can't come back. So what Jason is talking about is really looking, is looking at the data that's out there that talks about not only lifespan, but how cancer grows in this metabolism. The metabolism of a cancer cell is completely different than the metabolism of a normal cell. And so as Jason will tell you, I uh, know one of the things he always talks about is how things cooperate. And in, a, in your normal body, all your normal cells work together, and they work together for a common goal. And a common goal is to keep you healthy and for them to live, too. Cancer cells are like what's been happening in this country with, with this falling apart, and that nobody's working together anymore. And so cancer cells, the only thing they want to do is live, and they want to simply multiply and they turn out all the other genes that they have, all those other genes that are important for a normal cell to live and cooperate, those are all off. 
And the only genes that are revved up in cancer cells are to eat and to divide. And so that is, what, that is where we're coming from now. And that what we try to, to look at is what we call as better cancer outcomes. So we've collected thousands and thousands of published papers. And we're trying to find, you know, using machine learning or what people like to call AI, to find out what are the most important things for a cancer patient to understand and use. What will work and what won't work? So there's no questions. And then you can get a set of markers. And those set of markers will allow you to be able to follow to see if what you're doing is working. And so it is taking what Dr. Fong says a step further, and we're going to try to create a map. People will be able to equate it to this. I'm, an, I'm an, a former athlete. And what we know is if, when you have the best athletes on the planet, they know every single thing about what you do, how fast I ran the 100-meter dash. And they know everything in the world about that 9.9 seconds, that 10.1 seconds in your life. They know about how fast you start. They know about what you've eaten. They know about everything to make sure that you're going to be able to have an opportunity to win that race, right? And training your... So we've taken that same approach to understand how it is to be able to... That biohacking approach, really. It's really what it is. But applying it to not just being healthy and well, but how can you use that biohacking approach for to survive cancer, to beat diabetes, to stay younger? You know, I, I love biohacking, and I always laugh because the people that use biohacking look pretty darn good to begin with. I think the interesting part is what we try to apply or what I've been searching my entire, my, you know, this last half of my career for is finding something that applies using these biohacking techniques, not just for the 25-year-old to stay long, to stay younger, but to fix the, the people that, are, that need fixing, the people that have disease, dysfunction, to give people the mores out of their life so they can enjoy and have a bigger quality of life. And that's, that starts with things as simple as we're seeing with, with micro-depression, African-American or, bl or Black Americans. And the paper that was recently released about, you know, how we now how we're thinking that possibly a lot of these differences in health metrics between African Americans and the, the larger population is because of this low level of depression and anxiety that that we have, and maybe that's the connection between heart disease and obesity. So some very interesting things that. If we can start using this biohacking approach, and more importantly, not use not and giving power back to the people, because that's what biohacking is all about. Biohacking is about empowering people to have self. I like to call it self health. You know, not just help, but self health to get your own self more resilient, more resilient, stronger, and get your health stronger. But to also realize that where I come in. And it's not, only, it's not only about you, but it's about you making sure the people around you and your community and the rest of the globe is equally as tuned in and has equal access to all this knowledge so we can you know, empower the world to get 
better and healthier. That is one of the most beautiful definitions I think I've ever heard of biohacking. And I could not agree more. And that's one of the beauties of things like podcasting and why I'm so grateful just to talk to people like yourself, because we can dive deep into these topics that can have such a profound effect on so many people and share it and get it out there. And especially, you know, coming back to the topic of today's episode with deuterium, the more I look into it, I mean, you're doing amazing things with it, but I feel like beyond a few key figures, it's just not very known. And so I just want to learn all about it and share it. I mean, even for example, we were just talking about like the cancer connection and I actually emailed Dr. Fung a few days ago because I told him I was interviewing you and I wanted to know if he had come across research on deuterium when he was researching for the cancer code. And he said he hadn't come across much, which just, I think speaks to how much we need to talk about it. So (laughs) with that in mind, what is deuterium? Here, here it is. And I'm going to, this is so simple now. So we all know what, hydrogen's, what hydrogen is, right? Hydrogen is the smallest element that we, that's known to man, has a molecular weight of one. It's that H that's on, that, on the periodic charts and the H in H2O, it's water. And where our body is about, depending on how old we are, anywhere from 66% to 80% hydrogen in our body. And the hydrogen are so important because those are the things that make all our metabolism and enzymes work, that with oxygen. That's the thing that gives, makes water, hydrogen plus oxygen, right? That's the thing that makes the water on all our planets and the water in all our body. But it's also the things that, that, that really, when you become a scientist and understand this, hydrogens are also the things that hold things together. They're a cloud, they're, they're, they're attraction. So it's the thing that ultimately gives everything the three-dimensional structure in, its, in your body. So think of it as almost like, like the, the Lego pieces or, or nuts and bolts that keep things together. So it is that your enzymes are put together by hydrogens and these other things, the hydrogens on proteins, right? And if those hydrogens aren't there, you can't make those proteins. Your enzymes won't work. It's the thing that holds your bones together. It's the thing that holds your DNA together. It's the thing that holds everything in you together. It is the nails or bolts that keep everything in place. The problem is there's actually two types of hydrogen. Well, actually three types. One we make, which is called tritium. That's the one that makes a bomb. Everybody knows what the hydrogen bomb is. We have to make that in a lab. Naturally occurring, there's another one that's called deuterium, which is a cousin of, we can think of as a cousin of hydrogen, and think of it as being the large, heavier type of cousin, right? He's twice as big and twice as heavy. And that's called deuterium, two, deuterium. And so that makes, that's twice as big as hydrogen, whose real name is, pro, is protium, by the way. So it's twice as big and twice as heavy. So even when you think about, you know, anybody that's made an erector set or used Legos, or made a puzzle, if, you are able, if that puzzle piece is twice as big, it's no longer going to fit into that puzzle. Or if that puzzle piece is a nut, well, let's say if, an, if you have nails and that nail's twice as big and you try to use it, it's when by the time you try to build that house with those nails, that house isn't going to look like a house anymore. It may look like a dog. It can look like anything because the three-dimensional structure is going to change. 
So that's the first thing you want to think about hydrogens and how important they are. And deuterium, if you have too much deuterium, then all those three-dimensional structures are going to change, including your DNA. So as one of the co-founders of epigenetics, the thing we studied with epigenetics was how food, really, and, and things you do changes your DNA and how, you, how your DNA is how your DNA is expressed, right? So what genes are off and on. And we, we know for a fact that food does that. What we've now found out and discovered is it's not the food itself, but it's the components of the food. It's not a, that you ate a sandwich or that you eat popcorn or that you eat sugar, but it actually happens to be what type of hydrogens are actually in that food. So if, that, if you have a lot of the great hydrogens, the hydrogen E, that DNA is properly folded. As you have more, your food has deuterium in it, that DNA now becomes so bulky and big that it can't close up. And by not being able to close up, it keeps replicating. And that replicating is what, D is what cancer is, right? Cancer cells are cells that keep replicating. They keep replicating because they're full of deuterium and they can't close up to stop replicating. Now, the other thing about this is, and more important, is that we all know what the mitochondria is. And as biohackers, that's really, right, that's our mecca. Everybody always talks about the mitochondria because we know that the mitochondria is the place that we make our energy. We make 90% of our energy inside our mitochondria in the Krebs cycle or TCA cycle. Well, the way it really works now that we've, again, these are recent, let's say the recent discoveries, the first Nobel Prize was given for the deuterium in the 1930s, and the last one was really given for this thing that I'm going to talk about called the nanomotors, I think in 2018, and there's been four Nobel Prizes given for this related field. So it's always funny when people say they don't know about it, yet there's been four Nobel Prizes given for things related to this. But when you eat your food, your body breaks that food down. And we always think in terms of fat and protein and carbohydrates. But I want people to start rethinking that. And really what your body does, it breaks those foods down and it takes the hydrogens from that food. And it takes those hydrogens into our mitochondria. And inside our mitochondria, which we call the powerhouses of cells because it makes our ATP, our energy, there are actually thousands and thousands of things called, called nanomotors. And you imagine that they're tiny little engines, like turbine, turbine engines that say like a wind turbine. And as the wind goes past a turbine, we know that it blows those windmills, those wind turbines around, and they make energy. Well, think of it this way. Instead, what happens is this flow of hydrogens from your food go past these nanomolars, these tiny turbines inside your, inside your mitochondria. And when it passes them, it makes them instead make ATP. So you can imagine these things are going around at about 9,000 revolutions per minute. That's faster, turning it around in a circle, faster than the fastest generator you can think of, but faster than a a motor in a Ferrari or Maserati, a post, a, a really approaching how fast the motors move in a jet plane. They're just so fast. So they're moving so fast and they're making energy, making energy, making energy. And when they also make energy, they make water. 
water, energy, water, energy, water, energy, to the point that you act when you eat the food you eat, 3.5 pounds of food that the average person, average big person eats, you're going to make about 68 pounds of energy from that. Think about that. You eat three and a half pounds of food, you make 68 pounds of energy. And not only that, but from three and a half pounds of food, you make about 3,000 gallons of water. Hold on to that concept. So, and you need that much energy and that much water just for your body to be healthy. Because as you know, you, you, know, you don't go to the bathroom that much to get rid of 3,000 3, liters of water. You don't get rid of it. Your body just uses this all the time just to think, just to move, just to do everything, the millions and millions of things it needs to do just to survive and be a human. Well, when those hydrogens, those little tiny hydrogens are replaced by deuterium, it's like hitting these motors with a rock. And it starts to break those nanomotors. And for every deuterium that hits this, it breaks the nanomotors and the nanomotors are gone. And they, have, they can't be repaired. They've got to be redone. So you can imagine as more and more these nanomotors are broken, you make less and less ATP and you make less and less water. And I always like to try to equate it if people look up in the sky, right? And, and this is an amazing thing. You make more energy in your body and your nanomotors and you have literally billions of nanomotors all through your body, billions. You have more nanomotors in your, in, you have as many nanomotors in your body as there are stars in this universe. Think about that. As many nanomotors as stars making as much energy. On a per capita base, you make more energy than the sun. <laughs> and I, once you understand that, you understand the power of your metabolism and the importance of this deuterium. And so if a deuterium now, you have a level of deuterium in your body that starts to break these nanomotors, that means you're going to make less energy, less water. And I equate it to if you looked up in the sky and you see all those beautiful stars at night, just think if you went outside at night and you saw 10% of the stars gone, the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper are gone. They're not there anymore. That's what deuterium does to your nanomotors. It destroys your stars in your body. And when you understand that, you start to understand how important it is to maintain, to, to keep your deuterium levels at bay. And your body does this naturally via a lot of the regular things that biohackers think about. We're just able now to relate it to deuterium levels and be able to measure it in your body so we can tell you how well you're able to get rid of this deuterium. Does that help? That helps so much. My mind is being blown on so many levels. Okay, here's a foundational question. The levels of deuterium in our environment and our bodies, what does that look like in the history of humankind? Because I imagine, wouldn't our mitochondria have selected to use deuterium adequately if it was always around? Well, this is a, so that's very, you know, you're the first person to ask this theological question. And thank you. I'm going to answer this. It's, thank you for it. That's like, wow, I didn't pay our folks for this question. It's not a softball to pitch up to me. So if you think about this, and it's so true, our evolutionary history can be determined by what the deuterium levels are. 
as a matter of fact, when they take ice cores, you know, when they measure ice and they see how old something is, they really are doing measuring deuterium in that water to find out when it happened. Isn't that funny? It's just even most people don't know that. Because it freezes at a different temperature, right? There we go. So in the ice age, guess what? Deuterium levels are lower. They were lower because all the deuterium is caught in the ice. As things warm up, then those ice caps, those ice melt, and they release that deuterium to the oceans and to the air. As things get warmer, the deuterium level goes up. Guess what, folks? Guess what period of time we're living in right now, right? It's warming up. So deuterium levels are going up. And it's in our food and all these other things. And so what we have to do is find out ways to deplete our deuterium as we fight against this. But yes, so we can look at different parts of history and determine what the deuterium levels are just from what the temperature was. And we can also, from that, even go and determine how big the animals were and and make all those kind of things going together. You actually asked another great question that nobody's a- ever answered. <laughs> Most people don't know that mitochondria, well, maybe they do, that mitochondria are actually not, it was not part of a human body, right? Of a karyot. A micro, the mitochondria are actually remnants of bacteria. And so I, I don't, don't know if you know that. So they're, they're remnants of bacteria. So that's really what's great about our mitochondria is they were we wouldn't be humans today had we not had my, had this mitochondria becoming a, a an obligate parasite, right? It really is what it was. It became something that that able to have these our our ancestors, our great 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 to a million time ancestors, turn into becoming mammals and humans. Without those mitochondria, we would have never been able to make the energy we need to do anything, to, to think, to run, to grow different body parts. We've been this, you know, this, this protoplast still swimming around in the goo that, we, that was, you know, the primordial earth. So mitochondria became these things, it became these things in us. And it uses, and again, it's, it was changed around a bit in that the mitochondria takes our hydrogens and makes energy out of it. In bacteria and fungi, it works just the opposite. If you look at bacteria and fungi, they eat deuterium, and they eat deuterium, and that's how they grow. So that's the reason you see things rotting and growing fast. And you, if you see an apple drop on, right, drop on the grass, you can come back two days later, and that thing's got bacteria and fungus growing all over it. We've seen it. That's because it eats the, it's eating the deuterium and bacteria and those things grow faster from deuterium, where heavier amounts of deuterium, you know, will will get us sick. But even even when we have in faster periods of growth, like when you're a neonate or a baby or a teenager, you actually are able to use that deuterium because it's going to help you grow. So if you think about deuterium, deuterium is a thing that is really related to growth. It has a lot to do with DNA more than energy, but keeping DNA open. And that's why it's also related to cancer, because cancer is unregulated growth. 
Speaking to the bacteria and fungi, does it feed all different types of bacteria, like gram-negative and positive? I'm just thinking about like our microbiome. Yep. Well, you're good. So yes, it feeds all bacteria. Your microbiome, here's what I love. I love when people talk about the microbiome they make it so complicated. You know what? The microbiome does one major thing. It removes deuterium from your body. And when you poop, that's just big deuterium bombs. That's what they are. It's the most amazing thing, right? That's what it is. So if you get sick and you can't, you become constipated, you can't poop, what happens is then all that deuterium then backs up, can't be removed. It goes into your bloodstream and every place else, right? It's backed up. It destroys your nanomotors, makes you weak. And you die. <laughs> That's the reason you die, because when you're constipated, when you have diarrhea, you'll see the reason that you most likely get diarrhea so often. It is trying its best to get as much of that deuterium out of your body as possible, and it will pass it out as water. It's just trying to dump it. And so these things are so great because we can relate these thoughts and principles and hypotheses to really how life works and what we see in clients and in patients and in people, whether they be professional athletes or have cancer, you know, we can see these things, apply those principles, test them, and then biohack our way to the perfect solution. Wow. My mind is being blown. Okay. Here's another foundational question. So, so you're talking about how our bodies use hydrogen, you know, for so many purposes and energy and everything. And it's the the normal hydrogen, the protium that we need, but the deuterium is heavier and kind of gunks everything up and messes up our mitochondria. So those actual hydrogen, what is the difference getting it from food, hydrogen from food versus hydrogen from water? Excellent. Excellent question. All right. So your food, it's very interesting to talk about, think about this. Really, when we talk about food, that's your nutrition, right? So food when it takes the hydrogen from food, the, because of the way our metabolism works, it's really taking the hydrogens from food, and that's what exchanges. That's really what exchanges between your enzymes and metabolic pathways are the hydrogens from your food, not the hydrogens from your water. The hydrogens from your water are almost are are, are almost passive. In other words, you can think about it being that they're around. Well, let's think about the the enzymatic pathways and the, the how fast things happen it's a lot faster these exchanges are a lot faster occur a lot faster with the hydrogens from your food than they do with the water it's a very slow 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 reaction with water water can dissolve something but it's not going to change what it dissolved right it's not water when you dissolve Kool-Aid in water it doesn't make the Kool-Aid any different it just makes it wet now, when you think about enzymes and your food, what would happen is it actually could make that Kool-Aid different because it's going to exchange hydrogens with the hydrogens that are, in, that are actually in the food. Another thing that's so interesting is the way our body works is that you, when, you, when, these, when you eat food, your body takes, your metabolism takes the food it changes, say it changes it to glucose molecules, right? And then when it takes it into your cell, it strips all of the hydrogens off of it, all of the hydrogens off of it. So it's like a dryer, right? So it's going to strip all the hydrogens off of it. And then when it gets into the intercellular part of the cells, 
toward the mitochondria, it's now going to put hydrogens back on it that's inside that cell. And what this the purpose is to get rid of the deuterium before it gets close to the mitochondria, and then to put more, and then to put this new hydrogens on it to wet it now. It's like a dryer, then a washer to wet it now, and hoping that inside your intracellular space that you have lower levels of deuterium, and therefore your mitochondria are going to be safer. We broke it into food and water. Does that also include? water and food. So like fruit, that's water that has juice. Yeah. So when you think of it, and we always do this, right? I mean, it's been even fascinating for me to start really getting this concept down. So even when we look at juice, there are two components to juice. Juice is wet, but even with the juice, there is the liquid part, the H2O part, but that's the, it is really the dissolved proteins and fat and stuff and carbohydrates that's there. So those are two different things, and we always think about that. You can dry juice, right? If we, like we do a lot of testing on food and food products. So we can blow off all of the liquid part, the water part, and what will be left behind is the dry part. So even a liquid, the only thing that doesn't have residual is water, is pure water, right? And I'm not talking about water from a spring, because water from a spring has carbohydrate, or excuse me, has minerals in it, and a lot of other things. But pure water that's been, that has been ran on the distiller and distilled a thousand times has nothing in it. That's the only thing that, that doesn't leave any residuals down. So the water in food is still just water, but the stuff left behind, right, is the stuff that you, that when you eat it, when you drink it, is a calorie-containing part. And I just want to revisit one little thing you talked about because it's still blowing my mind. So we create 68 pounds of energy from three pounds of food. Where is that weight coming from? Well, everything has a weight. And so if you think about, we, it, it's always great. There's a, a great internet TED Talk. I can't remember my friend's name, but it's about what happens when you lose weight. When you lose weight, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a great, and it's really you, what you're losing is carbo- you're actually losing carbon, oxygen, and hydrogen. That's all you're losing. It's not weight. So in this case, where this comes from is when it goes through this, this, the TCA cycle, the Krebs cycle inside your mitochondria, it's when it makes ATP, you can calculate the weight of one molecule of ATP or one mole of ATP. You can see how many times it turns per day. All the, and then you can make the calculations for all the number of, I guess, the estimate of how many cells you have in your body, how many mitochondria are in each cell, and how many nanomotors are in each mitochondria. This is actually done by a, a group, really great guy that lives in Hungary. He, he did all these calculations for, I think, for his thesis. And so it was very, very interesting. So your body, your body makes so much ATP a day, and that ATP has weight. I'm just telling you how much it will weigh. Every time it makes ATP, it's going to make a molecule of water. So it makes ATP, it makes water. It makes ATP, it makes water. There are four different places in your Krebs cycle, or four different steps in your Krebs cycle when the, that, that make ATP. And each step that it makes ATP, it also makes water. But then it can also use that water it makes for the next step to make more ATP. Right, so it's almost this. It's a think of yourself almost as being a nuclear-powered sub, 
So you may make it, but you will also use it. Make it, use it, make it, use it, make it, use it. And then the stuff that's left over, then that is the stuff that's there for you to use later. When it comes to water intake, because different people to perceive needing different amounts of water, could a person in theory, if their body was functioning a certain way, not even require water because they could make it all from food? So the, if this is the interesting. When we think what, what we really have, the concept has really been destroyed. Most of the water, and I can tell you from our pro athletes, they're incredible, you know, incredible in specimens. They make, that numbers I gave you before are for just us normal people. Pro athletes who are just machines, they make probably 50% more water and 50% more ATP than we do because they need it. But what happens with making all that is you start to generate heat, right? You can feel your skin, you generate heat. And so because you generate heat, that's really what we drink water for mostly. It's not for nutrition, but you've got to drink water to cool you off, to keep things in solution. That's what water's for. It's not of nutritional value. So if you think about that, you're really just trying to cool your body off and you're trying to make sure your muscles and bones and everything stay hydrated. An easier way of saying it's not stay hydrated, it just means it's in solution. Again, I'm going to go back to the Kool-Aid thing or the, you know, to where you want the right amount of water in your Kool-Aid. That's what we drink water for. Most of the time, it doesn't, it, that water doesn't get, in, get, doesn't get into the intracellular part of your cells. It's the water that we make that's inside our cells. Okay? So when people talk about, so I love when people talk about how much water we should drink. And you said a very good thing. So you can indeed, if you do everything right and maximize the amount of water that you make, then yes, you would need less water. However, that person that's doing all that is also likely a person that exercises a lot or thinks a lot and does a lot. And so they're going to need water to cool off their body. My favorite story that I like to tell people, I was in Australia a couple of years ago when I went to one of their zoos. And they, you know, you know, being the, you know, they're always going to show the American, you know, hey, come over here, see this crocodile. So, so they took me over and they showed me this little thing. And I was like, oh, what? The, this no and I thought they were talking about this little 12 foot thing that, you know, little alligator. And then they showed me this 30 foot thing that was behind them, which was this huge Australian crocodile, which looked like a dinosaur. And it was just the most, you know how your heart drops and you go, oh my God, please water tank, don't break. And so, <laughs> so it was there and the guy's like, hey, hey doc, come over. Come here. I'm, I'm not going to do my Australian accent so nobody makes fun of me. But, you know, come over. I want to, I'm going to ask you some questions. And I came over and he, he showed me this. He says, how much do you think this animal eats? And you look at this thing you're and I'm like, a cow a day? I don't, you know, you would, you would think they would eat so much. They eat the equivalent of a chicken leg. Why? Only a chicken leg. That's all they have to eat. So think about these, when you think about these huge creatures and dinosaurs and all these kind of things that are cold-blooded, they warm themselves in the sun. They don't drink water, right? They warm themselves in the sun. They don't drink water and they don't need to a lot of calories because they don't use all their energy heating their bodies. 
So once you understand that, you're like, oh my God. And yes, I did get to trim levels on animals when I was in Australia because I had to find out about how they worked. And we were we actually were working on the, a project with them for the um, the Tasmanian devils because the Tasmanian devils have developed cancer all across Australia and are disappearing. And we found out they were developed as cancer because their deuterium levels were high. They because yeah, this is so interesting. Again, folks, to show you how important this is. They had been searching for it, so we walked into the zoo, we looked at it, and within one minute I could say, this is the problem. Because what is what happens if you think about deforestation, they use the equivalent of Roundup, right? Roundup, killing all these forests to build new places in Australia. Well, when you eat Roundup or these type of things, it destroys your metabolism because it goes at your TCA cycle to get rid of those steps I just talked about that make metabolic water and that make ATP, like a, a fumarase. It's geeky, but there, there's an enzyme in your, in your TCA cycle called fumarase. It's one of the ones that makes water and ATP. So it destroys those. And that's how it kills plants and bugs, because now those plants and bugs don't have energy and you see them fall out of the sky and die. Well, Unfortunately, what's happened is that the Tasmanian devils have been eating those bad, bad things, developing cancer, and they can't see. So the only way a Tasmanian devil can communicate with another Tasmanian devil, they're literally blind. They've got to almost kiss, right? They touch each other, and they pass the cancer on from one animal to another animal till almost they've all have in the wild, they almost all have this cancer and they will all be gone very soon. So they're trying to raise them in zoos. Same, you know, koala bears are in danger too because of a similar type of thing with chlamydia. And so we're hoping that they're able, that this new knowledge of deuterium, which they're using very well, will help them save those animals because they're just such lovely, lovely animals. Would that qualify as a transmissible cancer? Between the Tasmanian? Yes, because it, it actually, yes, it is, because it actually has a viral etiology. That's the reason this particular type of cancer is a face cancer. And if, if you folks want to go on, if you go online, you can look that up and you'll see the cancers on them. And it's almost like a, it almost looks like a mushroom growing on their face, right? This one just has a viral etiology. So they're able to pass that virus on from one to the other. And well, I've already told you guys about bacteria and fungi in that what does it need to grow? High levels of deuterium. There you go. So you have the perfect storm that's having these animals. You have a, a product that's killing the forest, that's using something that's going to kill your metabolism, ability to make ATP, something that has a high level of deuterium in it that's going to be passed on, and a virus that depends on the high deuterium levels to work. Again, the why is that important? People say, well, viruses don't eat. No, but remember how I mentioned a couple of minutes or 10, 15 minutes ago that deuterium, when it gets into your DNA, it makes it open. And when it makes it open, that's how viruses are now able to get into that DNA and replicate. This is fascinating. I have one more question about the temperature thing. Just, I'm just so fascinated by this. Is the cooling nature of water do at all to the temperature of water, or is water itself cooling on its own? 
Yeah, water itself is really cooling. Now, you're you're right. If you drink cold water, it may feel like it's, you know, it it feels like your cold water feels cold <laughs> and it is cold. But by the time it is absorbed, when you drink water, it takes about 17 you're going to love this kind of data. It takes 17 minutes for the water you drink if you're not eating with food to go to maximal hydration in your in your body. Just 17 minutes. That's it. So, and that is it. That is different from drinking water that has salt or sugars in it. So all three of these things are, you know, they, they, and not only that, but when you drink water, the majority of the water that's absorbed, water is absorbed and not digested, is absorbed specifically and quickly to your peripheral tissues, right? To your muscles and secondarily to the other places. Now, on the other hand, when you drink water that has sugar in it or water that has salt and minerals in it, it doesn't go to your muscles first. It goes to your organs. So you can really, we've really been playing around lately with how can we engineer natural foods and not Frankenstein engineering, but just add different components to direct the water where we want to. And so we've been doing a lot of experiments, especially with our oxygenated water, which delivers these ultra-fine nanobubbles to different places. How can we now make sure that we can get the oxygen to your brain tissue or to your lungs or to your skeletal muscle if that's where you need it instead? And it's like, I was like telling people, I love this deterioration depletion mechanism because it's like, you know, drinking your oxygen instead of breathing it. Does the body have an intuitive mechanism? Like, does it know if it needs water in certain parts of the body? And so you crave like plain water versus electrolyte water versus sweet water? Yeah, no, no, no. That's a good, that's a good question. Your body, don't, don't think about it as craving. You're, what we know is that enzymes, right? Your, your entire existence is all about the enzymes and this dance of the enzymes, right? That make reactions happen faster. Those are your enzymes. You couldn't live without them because it, it's able to turn glucose into something faster. Without it, it would take weeks or days. With it, it takes seconds or moments. So, so you're, if you look at your question, it's not that it has an, an innate thought about needing it, but your body is smart. It is, your cells are incredible. And like we talked about, they really communicate. And that's what people have to understand. They communicate. So when you get a scar and things, we can talk about that. Scar is a problem because it stops communication, but they communicate very well. So indeed, it does know from your immune system, if nothing else, what the temperature, what the dilutions, what everything that is going on in a part of the body that's away from another part of the body. And it can send signals because, that, because the way that looks like hydration may be related to how the body thinks sickness is. Right, that oh my gosh, this is my temperature is higher here. I have less water. I must have a viral contamination here. Immune cells come here and get this stuff out of here. Bring and when it comes, it's going to do something and it's going to cause. Now think about this: it's going to cause swelling or the water to flow into that place now to hydrate it and to get it back to homeostasis, back to the way it was. So, so yes, it does have a very primordial level of making sure it stays at homeostasis. It's not something that's, that's, that's more brain-like, right? It's not a really 
thinking way to do it. It's not that your brain's doing, but primordially, and just indeed, your body is set up to work and work as well as it can. And waters is number one. This is the coolest conversation I've ever had about water. I am so enjoying this. Going back to deuterium, so how is it measured? I know it's measured, I think, in PPM. So what's a normal level for a human being and what should we try to get to? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we created and we patented it, although other people are using it right now, (laughs) but that's going to stop soon, and that we patented was the ability to be able to measure deuterium in our bodies, right? So to be able to measure, we use as a mark of deuterium in our body, our breath. And that, that level of deuterium that's in your breath and your exhaled breath condensate is a marker, is, is a marker for general, what's in your general tissues, in your brain, your fingers, but it's not exactly. It really is just a marker and that is a measure of what the deuterium levels are really in your heart and cardiac muscle, at least 50% of that number. And then we also use as a marker for your what's in your blood, the wet part of your body, like you were talking about juice. In the juicy part of your body, we use what's in your urine and what's in your saliva. And that is a general marker for what's in your blood. We did about two years of work of looking at comparing blood in different, different places and plasma from different places, saliva and urine, and even from tears and a lot of other places and found out, yes, if it's liquid, it's liquid. It's all the same. So, and we invented those and patented those about, I think, five years ago. Well, we invented about five years and, and patented them. And that really gave us a really big stance and really moved this whole thing along because before then, you couldn't measure the term in the body. You just, it was just, yeah, I think it's doing this, but I can't tell you for sure. What's normal for a person? And I always tell people it's not important about what the top number is. If, if you look at garbage, right, your saliva, if you measure what's in your saliva and your urine, think of it as the garbage in your body. Because what your body is doing is dumping deuterium to that river, right? It's pollu- because it's polluting that river so the river can be taken down to your kidneys and bladder and you can add that in, or, and your microbiome so you can get the junk out of your body. That's the purpose of it. And it carries it back and forth. So the important part is the difference between what's in your tissue and what's in your blood. You want your tissue as low as possible or should, or I don't even say it's low because deuterium, I want everybody to understand deuterium is not a toxin. It's not, it's not even a contaminant. It's just, it is part of what we should, it is important to our everyday life and our everyday growth. You just want the ratios right, okay? I want everybody to understand that. You don't want to have your deuterium levels too low because your body doesn't even work well with your deuterium levels too low. So, and it could cause even cancer and give rise to cancer. So, but, so, the, so you want to measure the difference between what can be removed. So if you can remove 17 to 20 ppm, you're a healthy, incredible incredible person and we can just fool around with your diet right to lower your deuterium exposures to where you're going to stay healthy and young forever and i really mean that i think somebody who's able like you like you melanie at this time in your life you could look like you are and be as smart as you are everything right now be as athletic 
and everything for 50 or 60 more years without changing much. If you're able to keep the deuterium levels down and understand all the things and systems that go along with getting the, that. And that's what biohackers do. And so I really mean that. You, this deuterium is just, deuterium is the thing that determines how old you are and prematurely ages you. Again, older people have higher levels of deuterium and not a good thing. So, so anyway, that's the way you're measured. So the, the, a safe, I would like to say that the average person should walk around maybe in their deuterium levels in the high 130s to 140s, but they can also deplete deuterium to where they can deplete maybe 10 to 15 ppm. Do you understand? In other words, you can get rid of this much and this is in your body. And it's at a level, this is in your tissue, of X is in your tissue. And so as you get sick, what we say is, okay, now we want to lower the deuterium levels in your tissue. And we can do that by making sure that you do all the things that help to deplete deuterium. Drinking oxygenated water or deuterium depleted water, learning to breathe better, sleeping correctly, exercising correctly, making sure your, your biome is, is in tip-top condition, making sure you get the right amount of REM sleep and deep sleep because that's when deuterium is removed, making sure you're able to urinate properly and to see what, that you have enough nitrogen in your body to get rid of because deuterium is fixed by nitrogen. So nitrogen fixation, the reason that that works in your kidney and bladder, it's removing deuterium. And we can show this by, we can show this easily. That if as that goes down, then your ability to deplete deuterium goes down and you see concomitant sickness and decreases in health levels from there. So again, it's not as simple. I always say that the term is a great marker, but you guys are already smart. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You know you got to sleep better. You know you got to exercise, but you just don't know what exercise to do. You know you have to learn how to breathe. You know these things, all these incredible biohacking people, incredible people. I know a lot of them. They're incredible people you had on your show. We just can now relate everything they do to deuterium levels and show how to make what they do more effective and more importantly, how to call bull on people that say they know what's going on. Because if something is metabolically, it's supposed to make your metabolism work better and it increases your deuterium levels, then they're full of crap. It cannot be, it, that cannot exist in the same world. I'm just really shocked that more people aren't talking about this. My mind is just continuing to be blown. No, I appreciate it. But, you know, we really, I think the Center for Deuterium Depletion, when I helped found it, even though I don't do as much with them as I used to, I think one of the things that they really were, they, their whole life was to bring this, to make this and teach this to more people so they understand it. What I love now is there's so much, and it's not an insult to anyone, there's so much more than about deuterium and deuterium depleted water now. And that's what I think is so great. They move from that little fishbowl. And that's not, the, the, now it's an understanding of how to use these things in your life that everybody can afford. And really going, at, even at the level of government, to make sure governments understand how to make their constituents healthier by planning food the right way, by looking at certain, you know, by even looking at bills they pass and drugs they use to say, if this, if you do this, 
then this is what's going to happen. And these are the consequences. So I'm really happy that I, you know, I'm, I must say that with all these different, I now under, you get to the right place for the right, for the right reason. And I now understand why I was so driven over the last 50 years to get a lot of different degrees and a lot of different understandings, because this is more than about science. It's about science. It's about people. It's about society. It's about culture. It's about being successful. And it's about getting along together. And believe it or not, deuterium and your levels of deuterium are related to all of these. I, I work with the state of Ohio, and we were looking at deuterium levels in women who were losing their children. In, in Ohio, they have one of the highest birth death rates for babies, and particularly for African-American women. And so we were able to go in there and really look at that and say, this is the reason, let's change the diet. And we were able to push it, up, push it down, and it was good. studies are going well. Then Ohio, of course, had to go with the oxycodone. You know, they really had a drug problem, and they switched their money from that study to really looking at you know, oxycodone addiction. But we also use the same thing in the state of California, where we're looking at prisoners and a prison population. And you're going to love this. You can look at the deuterium levels and tell how angry they are. And isn't this crazy? Because, it, again, as we looked at this, it really was a matter of being able to feed them better food, to get them to you know better sleep and all these things. Of course, the, the funniest part, we, we laugh because that project went from being for prisons to being for prison guards. Because <laughs> the prison guards so were like, wait a minute, get us healthier. So they're using it more than anybody else now. And equally, we, we have done this project that we work with drug addiction and depression and using diet and ketogenic diet, which is a deuterium depleted diet. That's all it is. To be using diet and, and oxygenated water, deuterium depleted water to treat depression, anxiety, and schizophrenia. And lo and behold, a paper was published out of Oxford University about two or three years ago that really backed up what we said. And they are showing the relationship between depression, anxiety, and schizophrenia, and the level of the levels of deuterium in those in those people's bodies. Are you of the opinion that deuterium depletion of the keto diet is the primary reason that that's no doubt about it? I mean, I'm one of the grandfathers of the ketogenic diet, so I'm gonna uh, yes, because the ketogenic diet's high in fat, and usually, you know, those people that also use a ketogenic diet are also have are, are wealthier. And so not only do they eat, just like carnivore diet people, not only do they eat a diet that's higher in fat, but it also eats a diet that is higher in organic materials that you know, are made organically and also from grass-fed animals. So what does that mean? That means the food that they're eating, the ketogenic diet particularly, has a higher level of fat that has no deuterium in it. And a high level of protein that has no deuterium in it. So when your body gets it and it strips all those hydrogens out of fat, and remember, fat has, I think, six times the hydrogen as carbohydrate, right? So a molecule of fat is going to give you much more energy. That's the reason that we can use ketogenic diets to actually help optimize athletic performance, you know, when you do it right. So, yes, indeed, the ketogenic diet is because it has a higher level of fat. And if you have 
based it on animals that were grass-fed that are organically raised. And the same thing, and you're eating all green foods, which ketogenic diet is really based on, right? You're eating green, non-root foods. Those happen to be very low deuterium in comparison to other vegetables and food that, that you could eat. So yes, but that also brought me for the last two years to understand once you get that, I used to be very, very, very awful person when it came to saying you had to eat a ketogenic diet if you had cancer, because that's the only thing that was going to save you because I didn't understand. I just knew what we knew from the results in our labs and clinical study and our patient population and the dog population. The ketogenic diets delivered pe- gave people a better chance at cancer. Now we understand that it's not about the ketogenic diet, but the composition of those foods. So now we can deliver the same type of results. If you want it plant-based, if you want it Mediterranean, it doesn't matter. We just can be able to test the foods to arrange a composition so the deuterium levels are low. So you start to make your food, your food is so precise that your food becomes more controlled and it can be used more as a, like a drug than just as something you eat. Wow. And so between those different foods, does it have anything to do with the amount of their water content or is it a different factor? No, that's, that's very good too. So that's the interesting thing too. So not only the water that you drink, but the water that's in the food that you eat, right? Still doesn't get into the intracellular part of your cells. Doesn't get, it can get to the cytoplasm, but it doesn't get to the deepest part of cells where the mitochondria is. So yes, indeed, something like a watermelon or a piece of orange, the, the water in that is the water. Now, what's bad about those type of, of things is that the carbohydrates, and, to lesser, and they still have a little fat in them, we just don't measure it really, those have high levels of deuterium on those carbohydrates, and people, and that's what makes them bad. So people always try to ask me, well, think about this. So when you look at a tree or anything that's green, right? That green part has chloroplasts, which is equal over my, our mitochondria. And just like we, our body gets rid of deuterium, those plants and trees are getting rid of deuterium. They have to get rid of it so they can live. Matter of fact, if you see a sick tree with fungus and things growing, we found out they have higher levels of deuterium. Strangest thing. So if you, if in this case, what a tree does, it takes all of the deuterium and it packs it into the fruit and to its seeds because it's so great. Because what it's trying to do is to put that deuterium into things that are important for growth. So what is a, what really happens with fruit? You know, the, the way fruit used to work is that we would eat the fruits at the bottom of a tree, but a tree would, and during a certain season, but the rest of those fruit would drop down to the ground and an animal and either be used up by the bacteria as they rot it there, or an animal would come along, eat that apple or eat that piece of fruit, go a mile and poop. And what it would do? Poop out a new tree. <laughs> because now the seeds are going to grow there and it's got manure and the seeds and it makes plants in a new tree. That's what fruit's for, to actually grow things. So in our case, what we're doing, what we've been taught, again, when I go back to government, the things that government 
chooses to do, and we talk about big ag and big agriculture, when we look at this, then what we want to say is, okay, then what we want to do in this case is to make sure that we really eat fruit regionally, right? You really want to eat the fruits and vegetables and things that are really grown in your area because your area that is grown is really made for it's the deuterium levels there are made for that deuterium are, are made for that region of the country. Deuterium levels are different in different parts of the world. They are higher at the equator and they are lower at the at the poles, right? Those are if, at the poles. And of course people will say, well it's cold at the poles too. That's true. That's one of the reasons. So those levels are lower. It's it's lower at the top of mountains. It's higher in valleys, right? It's higher in valleys. So this deuterium sciences have been around again for a hundred years. So we they know this stuff. They look at deuterium in rocks. I mean, it's crazy. They look in rocks. When they say you can't get water from a stone, that's not true. They actually measure water in stones. It's just, it's crazy. So we can even, so we can tell where food is from the deuterium levels in them and all these things. So indeed, when we look at fruits and, and vegetables and root plants, we know what those deuterium levels are. And I am, now let me step back too. I am not, I'm not here to tell people that fruit's bad for them. What I will say to those people is if you have a metabolic condition and you need to lower your, your, your deuterium exposure, fruit needs to be taken out of your diet. Rice needs to be taken out of your diet. Potatoes need to be kept taken out. It starts to sound a lot like a ketogenic diet, right? These things need to be removed from your diet. More fats, fish, grain-fed animals out of your diet. These are the things you have to do to lower your exposure to deuterium. And at the same time, now let's strengthen up the ways that you can deplete deuterium. Let's figure out how to make you be able to sleep better, how to make you be able to breathe better, how to make your biome work better. And so we've done some incredible things, starting with the water and now creating this new oxygenated water, which I think is incredible because it's cheap. And my whole goal in life is to make sure everybody can afford the same advantages of health and not just the rich. And we've now also been working with groups and people from Denmark. We've made a, just as I worked with Juve, understanding how red light worked. And with them, they you know, were able to learn so much, but also to understand how blue light works. And so I'm working with a group in England on blue light and using blue light to treat blue light and deterring depletion to treat people that have macular degeneration of their eyes that come from, you know, uh, come from having glaucoma. And so we're seeing the ability to, to actually decrease the loss of eyesight that comes from having, again, low levels of, you know, having diabetes and glaucoma and those kind of things. And then, as I was saying, these group from Denmark, we just, uh, just have made a new app that we're bringing out called Melocura, and that uses these incredible frequency sound waves because what we're able to do is look at a combination of frequency and these and carrier waves, and we're able to use that to make the nanomotor spin faster, just like we're able to use juve light. Juve lights make the nanomotor spin faster. It makes what's inside your cells, but it does that by making the molecular, the water, which that's that water we make, we call molecular water or metabolic water, 
So it's able to make that change that to be thinner. And so we can make more energy and more metabolic water by hitting it with juve light. But now we found out sound streams that we can now use and direct that to places. And so now we have streams that sound streams that with or without water, but especially as you drink the oxygenated water, will also decrease pain. It will get rid of stress, anxiety, help you recover better, help your immune system. So it's all these wonderful things that were clinically validated. Take your tension down that you can now utilize that is easy, cheap, and makes your body, it's the ultimate, I'm so happy because I think we have the ultimate biohacking portfolio. But I really have been doing this just so we can make, honestly, for me, it's so cancer patients have a better chance of living. This is so incredible. I have a quick question about the red light. Talking about like Juve making the nanomotors go faster. Is there a concern if you have a lot of deuterium buildup, if they are going faster? Like, does it more likely cause issues? Well, that's... Gosh, you're smart. I, I said that to begin with. So <laughs> that's a great question. So that's one of the things we, 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 you had Scott on, I think. And that's, we used to, he was over at my house and we were talking about that. Yeah. He's, I love his family. Scott, I love you guys. You know, you, you, have, you, you have to see the, the, the whole family. They're, they're great. I've told a story about them. They don't mind. They came over with their whole family brothers and sisters. There's nine of them. And then Scott married into the family. What the great, the greatest people I love. They're like my second family. I actually love them. I love their product. They're so genuine. And, you know, but so that is a good question. So the problem is your deuterium levels are high. Then what's going to happen is that it's harder for the red light to work, right? It's harder for it to work. So it can thin it. So you, you can think about if you had a glass of water and you poured a glass of water into a, a river that's not very, that has no pollution in it. Let's go the opposite way. Yeah, if, if that river that has no pollution in it, then that water would add to it and make a, a, it would still make the river less polluted. Now, if the polluted was, if the river was completely polluted, you know, almost mud, you could add a glass of water. It makes a difference, but not, a, not as big a difference. So that's the same thing with Jew. Can it hurt you? It absolutely cannot. Can it be made to be more effective? And the answer is yes. It can be made more, they're making it more effective by being able to deliver more lumens and more making what their product does deliver more capacity per unit, per unit square inch. We, on the other hand, take what they do on the outside. And our job is to take sound and light and all the things that Mother Nature does for us to understand how that is transferred from the outside to your inside, to your organs where it's needed. And it's transferred through water. Water, it's always the dance of water that's important. It's just a transport mechanism. So what we really have been focusing on is how we can now be able to control that water and understand that water and understand the transfer of energy through that water, whether it be through the bonds between the, the water or to other cells that are going to carry that, and then to figure out how to get it to where it's going to go. 
So and when you look at the blue light, we're looking again, like I said, we are looking at what it does in the eyes. And I never even thought about blue light, but indeed, we're able to show that the blue light, while these people are, are sleeping, we have computerized and everything, they wear these masks and we're able to show how we can slow macular degeneration down to where they don't lose their eyesight. And it's amazing. Now, we can't say we improve it yet, but we can slow it down to where they don't lose their eyesight, which sounds a lot like we try to do with cancer. We slow it down so your drugs can work and kill the cancer without killing you. Yeah, this is so incredible. So I, I do have a huge question for you because you're talking about the, you know, making this practical and accessible and, you know, there is deuterium depleted water, which can be very expensive. Like, what does that look like? If a person did do a protocol where they only drank deuterium depleted water, for example, would that rapidly reduce the levels? And how does that compare to lifestyle interventions? Yeah, so it's it again, I always say it is a great hack. It will get it's like, you know, supplements. Yeah, I can it can get it down really quickly. Great. But you know, then you go out, you don't sleep, you party, and you don't, you know, you don't do all these things. That's an expensive lifestyle, is what I would say. So, but for cancer patients, it is an absolute necessary because you don't have time, right? But if you have time, fix your friggin' lifestyle. Right. That's all. It's like you already know. Let's try to figure out what's the amount of time you really need to sleep. How can, what time do you really need to get up? That's what we do. We're able to use it as a market to really optimize your life and enhance your life. And then we use water as a way to get you there. But here's what I think is what I'm really happy about is using this new cure oxygenated water. It's very, very inexpensive. It's only about $2 a bottle. So it's the same price is a bottle of Fiji water, you know, Perrier water, whatever. But you're able to use that. And it, if you think about deuterium depleted water, it is what I like to call passive, passive depletion. In other words, you're diluting, you're trying to get everything lower. And in time, because it's lower, it's going to make you better. With cure oxygenated water, is just the opposite. It's active. It's like having a fighter plane. So what it's going to do, it's going to, you're going to drink it. These ultrafine bubbles are going to float through your, and we have pictures and everything of how it's worked. So it is pretty amazing. It's going to float to your organs, get into your mitochondria, and then bind a hydrogen deuterium and remove it from the system. And what's nice is oxygen has an affinity about six times or seven times the amount of affinity for deuterium than it does for hydrogen. So it's going to bind to deuterium first. That's one of the reasons that we breathe. Believe it or not, I'll talk to you about, uh, remind me to, to talk about that. But oxygen binds to deuterium to make heavy water. And it's heavy because remember, deuterium is twice as heavy. So it's physically heavy. And we have, our body has all these systems built in to specifically get rid of this heavy water. So it's really cool. And that's the reason the oxygen to come back. And it's even cooler because we know that this is real because you can drink this oxygenated water and then measure your metabolism, right? Your metabolism using a lumen or, or a breathing machine or any of these other kind of things that's going to measure, that's really measuring carbon dioxide, right? And the, 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 the and carbon dioxide is... When you eat your food, the carbons 
from your food, from the carbohydrates and protein and everything, the carbons are bound by hydrogen, or excuse me, are bound by oxygen, while the hydrogen goes with the other oxygen to make water plus this carbon dioxide. You breathe the carbon dioxide off. The more oxygen you have, the better you, your metabolism is and the more carbon dioxide that you will see in your breath. That's why you can do like the Wim Hof and all these type of breathing exercises, and you'll see your metabolism go higher, right? You'll get much better metabolism, and you'll be able to measure that as an off gas of CO2 now increasing. With drinking just, the med- just drinking this pure oxygenated water, you can see more carbon dioxide come out in your breath, which means it's actually being used. So I love that. That's this style. So that's a very inexpensive thing that anybody that drinks water should drink this type of water instead. And it's from it's made not in nuclear power plants in you know in Eastern Bloc countries, but actually made in Cornwall, England. And it's just from a from streams of a, I think it's like a thousand foot elevation in Cornwall. You know, just picturesque on this beautiful farm. And it's made, and it's made from this natural spring water, award-winning spring water. I'm just really happy for that because I'm using that with a lot of, especially all the athletes. I've switched them over from deuterium depleted water to oxygenated water because I think it is more natural and more effective. Now, when somebody has cancer, you need to do a combination of those things. But I, that's where I'm going with this now, a combination of using the water and then things like juve and Melicure sound streams and blue light, putting those all together now to biohack yourself all the way from the beginning to the end and just be healthy very, very, very quickly. Can listeners order that water? Yes, yes. They can order that water. So you can order Cure Oxygen Water from Cure, K-U-R-E, U-S, CureUs.com. CureUs.com. They can order from there. And then they can order. Also, they can still get it from the Centers for Deuterium Depletion at DD Centers, 2Ds, ddcenters.com. And not only can they go a lot further, they make protocols, they do a lot of other things, but they also carry deuterium depleted water and then a lot of modules, which I think is even better. A lot of modules to help you sleep better, help you breathe better, help your gut, help your cognition, all other things that help deplete deuterium that are lifestyle hacks, you know, that you can't, that maybe you could do them on your own, but they've got years and years of proving that they work. So, but go there for ddcenters.com for that and Cure Water Melicure Streams. You can get that from Cure, again, cureus.com. So for listeners, I will put links to all of that in the show notes, which as mentioned, the show notes also have a full transcript. So that will probably come in handy. Just one last question about drinking the actual water. So if it is in a person's budget, would they benefit from doing like a brief trial of deuterium depleted water and then move to the oxygen water? Who practically should buy what, depending on their budget? If you get deuterium depleted water, we would put you on the right the right concentration of deuterium depleted water where it's safe, right? And you get the most effect for it. So we do have those, we have that. And then oxygenated water, again, you know, anybody could do that. It, it is both, we, we know that it helps with diabetes and, you know, a lot of things like that, except I will say for sure, there's much more clinical research really done by mostly Gabor Somalia, Somalji, 
and owner of Preventa, CEO Preventa, than there is in, in oxygenated water. Here's the oxygenated water primarily has been used for for the last 20 years is the water that they transport organs in. And that amazing, you know, when you, the hearts and livers, they put it in oxygenated water so they stay healthier and fresh and live longer. So, yeah, it's, it's just crazy. But now, with, now that I've joined them or I'm going to do a lot more science, on, we're going to find out a lot more about how this works. It's so cool. I'm going to tell you how cool this is and so people can understand how important it is that we're act, they're actually talking to the Malaysian Olympic team. And the Malaysian Olympic team and, and national health teams are going to use cure water exclusively for their training to give them an edge. That's how important this is. And I, you know, hopefully by the time the Olympics comes to LA, we can have it ready for our LA people too. Some pro basketball players that are our clients are already using it. I can't say their names, but they do live in Britain. Anyway, so, <laughs> so but <laughs> wink, wink, right? <laughs> so, so. Again, get either one. Both are great. You can try the one. It is going to be more expensive for the deuterium depleted water. And I personally think as an athlete, I know for sure that the oxygenated water is the, it would be my water of choice for anything that has to do with, with human performance. It's not even close. Because it's, it's immediate. Think about this. You drink it 17, late, 17 minutes later, it's in your tissue. It's dealing with it right then. Yeah. Right then. That's what I love. It's, let's knock it out. Now, is it going to kill cancer? Probably not. But is it going to make you run faster, get stronger, <laughs> be smarter? Damn straight. Well, thank you. This has been absolutely amazing. I have one rapid fire question just from your opening. How do you feel about metformin? Yeah, metformin is a good thing. I mean, again, metformin depletes deuterium. <laughs> we we published a paper on it. Oh, really? Yeah, we published a paper on it. So that's what it does. So metformin is a depleter of deuterium. That's why it's that's why how it works. That's how it lowers glucose levels. If you drink deuterium, if you drink oxygenated water, or do or do deuterium depletion with Turn depleted water, again, that's going to lower your blood glucose levels by itself, right? So a ketogenic diet, same way, by itself. And so metformin is a good thing, as is berberine. I was going to say, does berberine do the same thing with deuterium? Yes, berberine does the same thing. And they do it through that. Remember I told you about that nitrogen components of them? That's how they work. They work through these nitrogen traps. Wow. I read so many studies on berberine and metformin, and oftentimes they'll say, we don't really know the exact mechanism of action here, but it's always like hypothesized to be different things. But I hadn't seen anything about deuterium. Three years ago, there's another drug out that was a cancer drug that was the, a drug that was supposed, that was hyped up as being the first metabolic drug for cancer, and they treated with CML, and it's called Gleevec. And a person, actually, I think he may have won a Nobel Prize for it. I'm not sure. But a great guy from Oregon. Great, 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 great scientist. But so it, they, 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 they talked about this being this new, and it's the thing that 10, 15 years ago ushered in this whole new thing of personalized medicine and molecular medicine, right? That we could make the right thing for the right person to change your metabolism. We published a paper on this, Center for Deuterium Depletion and people that were with us. We published a paper on this where we showed that Gleevec was simply a combination of metformin and Lipitor. 
So this drug that people were paying hundreds of dollars for was a combination of two things that cost less than a dollar. And this and the company that made it made literally billions of dollar on dollars on this magical drug that wasn't magic. It simply had metformin and Lipitor to ha- Lipitor to, to, to handle fat and metformin, as we said, to deplete deuterium, and that's all it was. And we did publish a paper, we're one of the first people to publish that. You are just the biggest wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for this conversation. Is there anything you wanted to put out there or address that we didn't touch on? No, I love it. Thank you so much. I think the thing I just want to go away with people is to understand what my function is and what I try to do. And it is, again, and I want to, and again, we're hopefully going to have a new America soon. We're going back to an old America to where we help each other. And we understand that. You know, that by helping yourself, by helping others, you help yourself. And some of the things that we've put together, and I've already talked about, is this Cure Oxygen Water, the different lights, the different sounds, the smell of Cura. But here's the thing that I'm really just so excited about. We are also starting something that's called Cure Nation. And I'll, and people can go to curenation.com. It's not up yet, but hopefully think about it as being this fun site for biohackers and everybody is a health and wellness application site. So you'll be able to do studies against your friends and challenges and all these things under an IRB to do clinical trials and all these things. They're crowdsourced, clinical, crowdsourced, research-based things. I always like to tell people, I want them to think of it as Indiegogo or Kickstarter for geeks. And it's just, I, this, to me, that's, that's going to be so much fun because what we'll be able to do, Melanie, is to take all these biohacking questions and test them. It's so cool because people get to be able to, and we'll show you the graphs, and we have a, what we're calling Cure University to where they'll be able to learn about science. And I'm already trying to get Bill Nye, the science guy, to come on board. <laughs> I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best. He's like my dream guest I'm trying to get on this show. I'm like, I would die. <laughs> he's such a neat guy. I realize he's such a neat guy. But it's like, we got to, to figure out how we, he's so busy right now. But people can understand, you will be able to empower yourself to get healthier, to get resilient. Because I'm telling you, this COVID, it ain't the first, this is not the last time this is happening. The term levels are up. So you've got to get healthy. You've got to empower yourself and not depend on the government or doctors, as well-meaning as they are, to help you. That is quite a message. The last question I ask every single guest on this episode, and it's just because I appreciate more and more each day how important mindset is surrounding everything. And I feel like you've already answered this throughout the whole episode, but what is something that you're grateful for? I am grateful for (laughs) what the United States just went through, because I think it's going to actually get us back to where we should be. That's why I really, at the end of my life, which I know I'm getting closer to the end of the beginning, I think there's hope again. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Collins. This was incredible. I learned so much. I think my listeners did as well. It's empowering. The work that you're doing is just so appreciated. So I really look forward to communicating more with you in the future and your future work. And we'll have to bring you back on the show in the future for all the new things. (laughs) 
<laughs> that you find. Well, thank you, Melanie. And I love you being a girl boss. Keep it up. Oh, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got it.